Hey everybody, this is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us on uh, Facebook at BTBN, Instagram under the same handle. Subscribe on iTunes. Um, You can check it out on Podbean if you do not have an iPhone or iTunes application. Um, We're doing that duck call giveaway. This is episode 19, and it's about a week until the end of May. So I think I'm going to do it on episode 25. So... Make sure you subscribe, leave a comment with the duck call, and if you want to jump on Facebook and share individual episodes, you can go ahead and find that post under the BTBN page and uh, say which episode you shared, and that way just give you an extra entry in the drawing. I got to get everything together here in the next week or so, so that way we can give it away. Um, Probably give it away on Facebook. Probably be easier than trying to make you guys find sort through the different podcasts to figure it out, so... I don't know, I'll think about it and have an answer for you guys here soon. Today we got Joshua Lynn out of Bay, Arkansas, just south of Jonesboro. And uh, he's from Bustin' Tales Calls. And uh, we're going to do a little talk about some calls. So what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot, man. Like I said, I ain't been home for too long. My, uh, my job's pretty demanding, so my the, the shop time I do get pretty precious, uh, I don't get to crank out a lot like everybody does. And, you know, with all this COVID crisis, you know, we've watched, you know, people, you know, with their creativity and actually get in there and get to you know, make a lot of calls. For me, I haven't had a whole lot of shop time because I work anywhere from 10 to 14 hour days. And sometimes I used to get home I, and I try to walk in the shop and then I was like, yeah, another night. Dude, I understand it. I, uh, I work a anywhere from like 11 to 12 hours now, and a lot of it is driving. And, uh, you know, I, I've worked 12-hour shifts forever. I was in the military. You know, that's nothing new for me, but driving 400, 500 miles a day, I'm just exhausted when I walk in the door. And my, my call making has gone down from like three to four calls a week down to about one to two, and then I try to do three podcasts a week. So I try to like alternate them up and break them up. And then, like, tune and cut everything on the weekends and call it good. But, uh, yeah, man, it, uh, you have, you can't overwhelm yourself and you still got to sleep and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I try to at least get three days out of the week in the shop. So, and normally with me, um, on the weekends, if it's nice and pretty, I'm such an outdoorsman. If it's pretty, I, I, we're out, we're out on the river, we're out on the lake, we're out doing something. So basically, my shop time, I try to do Monday through Friday. Uh, so if I work a ten-hour day, then I, you know, I'll come home and I'll start prepping calls Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday's just a whatever day, and Thursday, Friday is to try to get them done for Saturday. I can mail them out and then enjoy the weekend. Yeah. See, I'm. Uh, I'll turn sometimes on the weekends. I usually have one day off in the week, and that's where I put a lot of my. Uh, that was today. So <laughs> I'll do uh, a lot of turning. I didn't end up doing that because I didn't feel like it today. I turned one call today, and uh, I'll usually try to knock that out. And if the kids are home or anything like that, and it's just me, I I turn in my garage still. So I'll open up the garage door and they'll be riding bikes up and down the street and I can still be outside with the kids, you know, interactive, but uh, still be getting stuff done and not be a hermit out in the garage all night long like I have done many, many times in years in the past. 
Yeah, I know that because uh, in the past year, my wife actually started working days, so so actually she's home at night now, but before that, uh, she would work nights and I'd work days, so it'd be nothing for me to go spend, you know, to one, two o'clock morning in the shop, and I know, I think I've heard you say that too, so but I, I kind of watch, go ahead, watch my shop time. I just got to watch my shop time during the week, so I may spend two or three hours, but I always try to, you know, designate some little time for her before we each time for bed. Yes, sir. That is the most important, and it's the hardest thing. I think, you know, it's really nice to hear from different call makers and all of us that go through so many of the same problems uh, of just trying to manage that home life and shop time and do things you enjoy and uh, just... Being self-aware is a huge, huge thing of like, hey, I've got four hours today of awake time. I got to eat. I got to play with the kids. I got to do their bedtime, all that shower time. And then I got to allot this hour for turning and an hour for, you know, wife significant other time. It's just, it, it everything has got to be scheduled out. Like, it, it, everything is so scheduled out. And it's like, it feels weird saying you're scheduling your fun, but if I don't, uh, I'll just end up working myself to death and not even realizing it. Oh, I, I'm definitely the same way. Everything's got to run on our schedule. I just can't just do everything off the hand. Otherwise, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> right. So you said you're uh, you haven't been turning as long. You're you're a newer guy, like around a year is about as far back as I can remember. Is that right? Well, this will be my third year. Okay. So okay. Well, I, I got out of it for a year, so you got to forgive me. Uh, you're all right, man. Uh, because I mean, everybody knows my brother Sean Lynn, and he is—he's migration to night calls. Because I was a part of that from when he decided that he wanted to get back into it, and I actually kind of pushed him back into it. I think so. We got into it together, and then a couple of years later, I thought, you know, he's built up such a good name. I want to let him go be his own deal. I mean, there's no bad blood. I mean, I mean, we're still brothers, and actually, we're twin brothers. Uh, and so that way, I could just—if I'm going to make something for myself, I wanted my own name, and I just, you know, just kind of—I want that to be my own, my success. So that's how Busting Tales come along, and it's actually that started uh, the first of this year. But as a call maker, my brother—he started in 06 to 010. And then 010, we moved all of his equipment into my shop. So at that point, from like 10 to 13, I got to uh, basically make barrels, basically without all I did. And uh, by the time I wanted to learn to make an insert, he had sold all this stuff. So and and after 13 to 17, I mean there was nothing being done. And then when he Finally, I finally talked him into it because it took me a while for, to get him back into hunting. I'm, I'm sure he had his own reasons, but I finally got him to get back out and get used to it. And he was part of this duck call trader thing on Facebook, and he'd trade calls. And he'd always nitpick and like, oh, this call won't do this, this call won't do that. And I was like, you know what, if anybody, if I know anybody that knows how to make a duck call scream, I said, it's you. I said, won't you get back into it? And this went on for that whole entire 17, well, 16, 17 season, and then kind of didn't really give it much thought till about 17, 18 season, about midways. He's like, I, I want to get back into this. Do you want to go in with me? I thought, well, heck yeah, because my love for waterfowl 
to that point, I mean, I've, I've, there's something I felt like I've always wanted to do. And, uh, and he, he actually turned on an old shop smith, uh, kind of a bigger lathe, and it took special tillings to do it's different tillings than what these bench top lathes uh, take. So uh, it was actually a process for both of us to learn kind of how to use these bench tops and how to we want to do, approach making things, and we did it together. And so I guess to say the least, I kind of had – a little better start than most people because I actually had a great mentor, which was him. And actually, uh, believe it or not, being in this area, there's so many call makers that aren't even on social media or anything, and you don't even you wouldn't even know these guys unless I told you, unless you just seen them in person. And so I got to make good friends with another guy. His name's Chris Charette of uh, Quaker Jack Calls. He's in just north of Jonesboro. And he helped me out quite a bit and uh, was great knowing, you know, learning from him is that Thurman McCann that just that lives south of me in Truman, Arkansas, that made, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Thurman McCann, right? Yes. Uh, well, Thurman McCann taught my, uh, taught my good friend Chris how to make calls. And so that's kind of, he taught me some of those things that Thurman taught him and, so with having two mentors teaching me everything, now, of course, I did not have nothing handed to me. Uh, my brother still made me learn the way that he learned. I tried to, you know, hey, what do you think about this? I need advice on this. He said, figure it out. And he helped me a few times along the way, but just, uh, I did have, you know, some great mentoring, and but I did have to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. And still, the the insert jig that I have now, it took a year and uh, a little over a year just to get it where I wanted it. Because even along the way, I'd put out a few calls, but I was just always kind of to the sidelines because I want my sound to be right, and I don't want to be ever be known. And I hope this don't come out right. I don't want to be a barrel stuffer. We all get our start somewhere, but your basic key element is in that tone board and everything and you know and the insert so i knew that's what i wanted and see that's the right approach to me you know there's a there's a place for barrel stuffers and uh i guess there's a need for the guys who want to uh i don't know i have guys contact me all the time and they're like hey i want to talk to you about making a call this will be like my first call ever something like that and uh, they started asking about pricing and stuff. And I was like, honestly, if you, you know, this is your first call, do you have any experience with them? Like, no. I'm like, go out and get you a polycarb echo, something like that that's going to run you like 35 bucks. It's a good quality call and it's made out of cheap materials. And go hunt it that season. Learn how to call, learn what to do with calls, learn what you want out of a call, and really figure out hunting before you try to get an expensive call as your first call because you know you just don't really know what you want out of it that's like turning 16 and going and buying a ferrari or you know (laughs) like you you just don't know what you want out of it yet and uh it's really hard to figure out and you might find out that you don't even like duck honey i can't imagine it but uh you might find out that you don't even like water fouling and now you've got all this money tied up and stuff and you know there's 
I just that's the way I've always felt. I'm like, come back to me when you're ready, and I'll, I'll sell a call to anybody. But I I want to do them the best service I can. Oh yeah. So and, go ahead. And I you go ahead. You ask what you. I was gonna ask. just say you grew up around that area. Did you? I can only imagine that duck hunting was something you've been doing since you were younger. Well, that's where my story takes a little different toll. I didn't grow up waterfowling, and I wish I could say I did. You know, I knew my grandfather. He passed away when I was a really young child. I didn't have those those memories with him. And I didn't have any influences in the waterfowl at that, you know, being that young. And being, because we're a big area for it. You come to our area, you can... You can ask anybody what's the number one thing around here, and they will tell you it is waterfowl. <laughs> well, that is, you know, I drive so much all over the country, and I live in, you know, the Ozark Mountains, which are barely mountains, they're hills. But to the normal person, I remember before I ever got into waterfowl and driving across the country, just moving around different places, and I thought there's places in Arkansas that are the flattest most boring damn places in the world to drive through and now you know i i drive through arkansas i'm excited i don't care especially if i'm there you know in january february right as waterfowl is really stacked up there i love driving through it and uh it's one of those areas you'd never know it if you didn't if you weren't into waterfowl and you just you're like uh, it's just a bunch of flat land and now i'm like a little kid when i drive through there I, like here, I live in Bay, just a little south of Jonesboro, and we consider this, I mean, everything flats the Mississippi Delta anyway, but what I call what we're in is the old river, Mississippi River bottoms. I mean, from basically the ridge that separates sandy ground into good ground all the way to the Mississippi, this is the biggest part of the Mississippi River bottoms, and yeah. it extends for a long way. And so we do actually have some great waterfowl opportunities. Oh, dude, it's unbelievable. Especially, you know, coming from where I'm at, it's just so different. You know, I didn't, my uh, my pops was a police officer, and he had beagles. So any type of outdoor experience I had was, you know, out running, running beagles, chasing rabbits. Absolutely love it. Um, he, of course, just like most people, grew up deer hunting. His dad took him deer hunting and fishing. I do not have the patience to go deer hunting. Like, I, I don't know if it's ADD or something. You know, I'm always doing different stuff now, even as an adult. But uh, I didn't have the patience to sit in a stand and do deer hunting. Fishing, it was always too damn hot. And I want to, if I'm going to be out there on the water, I wanted to be chasing girls in bikinis when I was a younger gentleman. So I didn't have the patience for that. So, my experience, like, when I first started getting into hunting, yeah, I was a young man. I, I didn't do it a bunch when I was a kid either because it was either cold and boring or we were chasing rabbits. That I loved. But that's what I did. I went out and I had beagles. I love chasing freaking – I love watching dogs work rabbits. And that's how I got into it. And um, it was early because I don't like to hunt rabbits before it gets cold if I was going to do it. So, uh I would. I was like, man, I I gotta have something to do. You know, I really love the outdoors. And uh, one of my other buddies from Oklahoma is telling me about duck hunting, and I didn't have any influences in the duck hunting world. And I was like, the one time I went with my stepdad, it was really really cold. We got up at two o'clock in the morning, drove two hours, and saw three ducks. 
I was like, I did it when I was 14, and he convinced me to get out of bed. And it, not, no, no way in hell. And then I finally went as a 20-year-old, and I've been hooked since, you know, 12 years later. Oh, yeah, no, you see, you know, you asked, I didn't grow up waterfowling, so what's kind of pretty cool to know about me, I grew up a, a kind of a band geek. So I played drums from 6th grade to 12th grade, and that was such an influence in my life that two years after high school, I started playing kind of like playing in, you know, real bands, the bands that would get together and try to write our own music and pursued that till, oh man, till 2012. And that's when I decided I met another group of guys that played cover music in bars and they were actually getting paid. I thought, dude, I can do this. So from 012 to actually to the, almost into 17 I played in the cover band uh, for all that time playing drums I mean we'd be playing every weekend and even during waterfowl season what made it so rough was we'd be playing till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning or 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning I'd get home at 3 take a shower just like a really hot shower to give me just that jolt of energy then I'm putting on my hunting clothes getting in the truck heading to the boat and we're going out to the hole <laughs> See, but that's doing something you love, man. And it's, oh, yeah. You're losing out on sleep, but you're doing something you love. Oh, so, most definitely. I, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so, you know, most definitely. I mean, I, my passion for music and waterfowl, I mean, was so great. I mean, it, I mean, I had a lot of sleepless days, but uh, finally I laid my sticks down in 17 about the time me and my brothers get into call making again, and I haven't looked back and... Uh, and I absolutely love just making calls when I get a chance to get out there and make some. Yeah, man. And it's like, you know, going for making musician, that's really cool. Like, I have a lot of respect for guys that can do that. One of my best buddies in the Navy was a, uh, a big musician, and uh, he won a couple contests, won a, a Martin guitar contest where they gave him a bunch of money and a couple free guitars for a songwriting contest. And we were actually on deployment and he uh there was a morning show jingle contest or something like that where you write a little witty jingle for the morning show on i can't remember whatever you know national morning show and uh he actually got a message from his command because he was temporarily attached to our ship to help us with deployment he was a weatherman and his command was pissed because they had seen a video that he recorded in my office while we were on deployment and he sent it in and they played it on national TV. <laughs> so, and he never asked permission to do any of it because why the hell would I? And his command was pissed because he placed like second overall in the nation in this crazy songwriting competition. So anyway, I have a lot of respect for guys like that and it's, it's always really entertaining and fun to be around and it's just something that's creative. So I can imagine Going from that to making calls and figuring out how to, you know, run a call better, and it's just that creative release I can imagine. Oh yeah, and and I got a lot of you know a lot of thanks does go to my brother because not only did he help me in this passion, he also actually helped me in my calling skills. But because even before we started making calls, I think I mean it took me a while to learn, and I finally found a call that that I that fit me, and I think it was a. It was Echo Pure Meat, and I 
I was like, man, I picked it. I was in the store one day. I picked it up. And I actually, I got it for my birthday. This is my birthday present. And the guy in the store actually gave me some tips like that. So I, I, I kind of sounded, I left the store thinking, man, I, I kind of sound half, you know, halfway decent. And, you know, my brother helped me the rest of the way to get to where my skills are now. But I ain't nowhere near where he's at because I would almost put him as competition level because he can, he can sure run a duck call. I gave him that. Yeah, it's one of those things that, man, there's a few guys that really pick it up and they're good pretty fast with it. You know, some guys just have the natural ability, but to me, it's something that, it's just like music. You know, you can, it's something that anybody can pick up and if they want to work hard enough and try enough, they can get good at it. But there are definitely some guys that have the natural aptitude to just immediately pick it up and run with it. Oh, yes, definitely. Those are the dudes that I'm jealous of. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Domingo is such, like Domingo Sanchez, so phenomenal oh, yes. as a caller and a call maker. And we were talking about it, and uh, he won his first contest. I mean, he'd done a bunch of other contests, but the first one that he won was two months before he played second at Worlds. Like, he said he was going to – that was like one of his last years at entering competitions and if he didn't win a contest and punch his ticket for worlds he was going to hang it up he was he you know he'd been doing it long enough to if he wouldn't he was in that make or break year and then he freaking won that thing and then comes out and finishes second to freaking logan hancock <laughs> the next year it's just wild yeah i know i remember that and uh what's cool about all this too is domingo i've got real good friends with him uh, Brad Samples, Michael Meredith, uh, Waylon Thompson, uh, Rob Zudemeister, because uh, me and my brother, we travel to almost all these events, you know, like Real Foot, uh, NWTF, Callapalooza. Um, we, we was at Illinois last year, which is uh, sad to see that Jason, I guess, because everything Illinois has going right now, that that show is getting canceled this year. So, Luckily, if we get lucky, hopefully Real Foot will stay open because that'll be the next working call contest, and that's what we like to do too. Um, so uh, going to all these, I've got to meet all these great call makers, and, and I can tell you this, there's not a one that will not sit there and try, you know, if you actually ask them for help or advice, they'll sit there and talk you blue to your face. <laughs> right, and you already mentioned there is an ongoing count i get a message all the time that meredith and eric ostovic are mentioned in every single podcast through natural conversation this is the second one in a row i've just got it out of the got it out of the way now so they can go ahead and tick their counters it's like their own little drinking game they have between them might as well throw alan in there too so he can get his drink on (laughs) but just get it out of the way now um i think i've got to meet alan very briefly um but also, I mean, I think Chris Alexander is an awesome guy. Ronnie Turner is just a downright hoot to be around. He, if you don't laugh around that guy, you need to go find another group to be in. <laughs> right. That guy makes not only just makes you feel welcome. I mean, he just he he make you laugh your butt off. So he's just that type of guy. Yeah, man. Uh, and go ahead. And I was just say that's what's cool. Uh, just getting to meet all these people. Like, I, one cool memory I have, like, with Brad Samples was at Colapalooza this year. Um, 
I've been getting into carving and trying to, you know, that's kind of what's kind of caught my eye. I mean, I'm like, you know, whether everybody's checkering or doing something out of the norm, I, I picked kind of carving to be my first out of the norm. And not only did Brad just sat down and, and give me the time of day to help me kind of give a few tips to do, I walked away with like a little bag of bits. He gave me bits to actually use this for kind of this and this for this. I mean, just, I, I think I had like maybe almost close to little 30 little bits. Yeah. Of course, now he pulled out a freaking drawer that probably had a thousand of them in it, but just him picking stuff out and just giving to me, well, that right there meant more than you could ever know. I'm telling you, man. I, uh, I talked to him about it on the podcast with him last week, and I... I was inspired. I got one of his calls. I was inspired. I'm going to try to learn this thing. And I started messing around with carving. And I, you know, put a mallard on a ABW barrel and uh, posted it up on Call Nuts. And within like three minutes, he sent me a message, five minutes, something like that. And was like, hey, man, I'll give you some tips. I'm going to do some some videos here soon. And uh, I want to show you how to do some different stuff. And I never asked for it. I was just like, hey, this is what I... Hey, look at my cool project I just tried doing, guys. I know it looks like crap. And it went immediately, man, it's just the stuff like that, the brotherhood of call making, and the close-knit of all the guys, the meetups, it's just amazing. When I first started, I was a weekend warrior. Me and my buddies would go out. We were going out on Saturday, Sunday, and we were trying to sneak like a, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, something in there once a week, and it just... It started doing it where we were going more and more. Me and my buddy both worked second shift, so we were going into work at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon every day and getting off work at midnight. So then we're just going out to the duck blind after that, and we're trying to hunt every day. And it was just us and a few other you know little buddies. We were tagging along to the blind, having them come with us. And then I started getting into the TV and the film aspect, and I started meeting more outfitters and... Uh, a bunch of other guys locally and that the connections that that brought me was amazing and then i jumped into this call game and it's like my contact list of who i talk to about waterfowl has gone from my three buddies that we have our little group message about duck hunting to all these guys from all over the country from the best call makers in the world to the guys that just started three months ago it's I don't, it's just something that I think is really, really special, and I love doing this podcast because it just brings guys together, and I really, like, I like doing this as much as making calls because it's talking about things that I'm extremely passionate about, and uh, I don't know, it's just bringing that brotherhood closer together. Oh, yes, Barry, because, like I said, uh, you look at all these guys that you see at all these events, everybody's friends. There's no little one click versus the other. Everybody gets along. Everybody helps everybody. There's no a popular group of the call makers. Every, we just we're all there to have fun, and uh, that's what it's been. Every, you know, to every event we go to, and uh, <laughs> I had seen. I think I've seen a few posts where like, oh, if you ain't in the clique or if you ain't in part of this group, you know, you really don't get noticed a whole lot. And I thought, uh, I can't remember what exactly said, but I could tell, tell you this. But if you go to these events, don't be afraid to go up and talk to them because ain't nobody shy. Everybody's friends and everybody gets along together. And uh, yeah, like that's one of the things that I noticed um, that I really loved about the call making aspect 
when I was doing the TV show, it was nothing big. I, I always talk about the TV show, the TV show. That's just what I relate to because that's what I did for a couple of years. And I, it was, you know, life for a couple of years for me. And it was just a little local TV show. We came on on Saturday nights, you know, primetime Saturday nights in the middle of football season. So nobody ever watched anyway. But uh, there was like six or seven shows locally and most of them were deer hunting, a few fishing, and we were the only waterfowl and turkey show out there. And, uh, man, all these guys would get in fights at, like, lo- expos. They would get on Facebook and just talk shit to each other. And it was always just this big drama fest. And that's not who I am or what I'm about. Like, I'm very much a just-leave-me-alone type person <laughs> And uh, when it comes to that stuff. And then I get into call making, and there's just nothing. You, I, people are going to have disagreements and not get along. There's going to be some guys that you're like, I just really don't like this guy. And it, it comes with the territory of interacting with a lot of people. But call making is just, it's so unique. Everybody that is the best of the best in the game, they're all best friends. You know, you get freaking Ronnie Turner, Brad Samples, Alan, Mike, you know, freaking. Um, just everybody, man. Everybody is the best buds. And uh, it's just a really unique place because you look at, uh, I don't know if you've watched this ESPN, the Michael Jordan thing. It was him and Isaiah Thomas. They were the some of the best in the game. They hate each other still to this day, 30 years later. Like, who will not talk to each other 30 years later? And it's just not like that in the call-making world. No, it's not. And, you know, I'd actually encourage to, you know, anybody listening to this podcast, whether you're new or you haven't been to any of these events, you know, I don't, I can understand that some parts, you know, kind of where we live, we ain't but like an hour and a half this to this event. We ain't, you know, but a few hours to this event, a few hours to this event. I think Maryland's the only one that's far enough away from us that I just can't make that one. But, you know, especially real foot. If, if you live within four or five hours, I, mean, I know guys that drive uh, have drove 11 to 12 hours just to come to the Real Foot Show. That's a show to get into, or don't be come to one of these show, call making shows because that's what that's where you kind of meet everybody, and then you see how friendly everybody is, and then that just makes a better call making community. Uh, you know, with like getting to meet, meet Steve Carter, excellent guy that runs Call Nuts. Um, I even forgot to mention his name, getting to meet Rusty. Man, he's a character out of his shell, too. <laughs> well, yeah, cool he's flying. Oh, yeah. So, your brother was making calls for quite a long time. What? How often did he nag you to try to get into this hunting thing? Because you said you were more concerned with you know making music and the band was he constantly like hey do you want to go hunting you want to come try this out type thing uh actually he's the one that did get me into hunting um i can't even remember how it started i remember it was in 06 when i got he introduced me to waterfowling because at the same time he started making calls he was actually i think he was actually guiding the year before and and got it for a few years after um so he had, you know, fields around, because we're from the Wiener, Arkansas area, one of the best kind of, well, I can't say the best, but it's one of the most popular areas around, and he had, I got three or four fields, a couple of fish ponds, and uh, I can't I can't remember what all he had, but him actually, you know, taking me out there to hunt fields and stuff, and 
I couldn't even tell you if I killed my first duck out there. I just know it always come in with a pile of birds, but I couldn't even tell you if I killed which one I killed. <laughs> uh, and then uh, doing that, I actually got to meet a couple other friends that started taking us to the place that I love the most, which is the St. Francis River. Uh, because from oh, from the time I started in 06 to oh, 10, 11, they had floating blinds out there. And it was the first count, first serve. There was no draw. You just had to be the one that got there first. And you can only imagine how some ones, there's a lot of fighting going on out there. So, did they have the uh, did they have the ramp time limit? Like you can't be on the water until four type thing. Uh, twelve. You can you can be on the water midnight. You can get on the water at midnight. So, and uh, the ten eleven season was the last season for the blind. 11, 12 season, they were still out there. You just couldn't hunt in them. You could hunt beside them. You couldn't hunt in them. And in 13, they burned them all. What kind of goofy sense does that make to have a blind out there that you can't hunt in? I know, because, you know, a lot of these blinds, I mean, this goes back into, who knows when, the 40s and 50s, you know, when they started, or maybe even maybe later than that, when they started building these blinds and certain families kept, you know, these up and brushed them and everything like that. But even being on public ground, you could call it yours, but it was still if somebody beat you there, I mean, that was tough luck. But I know that's a, a, probably a whole other story within itself, but um, that's about one of my favorite places to hunt is the St. Francis River. Is that a lot of, like, flooded timber and stuff like that? It's a, yes, it's a, man, that thing runs almost all the way from Lake Wakapello up in Missouri all the way down to where, to West Helena, where it meets the Mississippi. But uh, our region, it kind of, we're uh, south of Truman where it crosses the, what we call the, the floodway, it goes to Marktree, Arkansas. From there all the way up to uh, past Perigold. On four, between Perigold and I can't remember the name of that town, but that's kind of about where the stretch of, there's, of the uh, public land is. Now, certain stretches have a lot more private land, but there is public in about a little, little area. But down where I live, that's where most of the public land is because this river kind of falls into a lake and then goes out another river channel to where it goes to the uh, dam and then keeps on going south. Gotcha. So... What um would you say the majority of the guys out there you said are doing flooded timber for the public yes. hunting then like uh what flooded rice on the private side? Uh, on the private side because I, I do have a field that is probably about as the crow flies a mile and a half northeast of Claypools that puts it around the Greenfield area just south of Jonesboro. And so uh, for the people I, who don't know, Claypool is the famous picture from what the. 50s where yeah, half a million mallards were sitting on a little bitty private reservoir. Oh, yeah. I got three or four of those pictures, and, I, and anybody that knows Claypools has probably got a framed picture of it or something of it. And so, and you would think being in that area, it does hold a lot of ducks every year. Well, they uh, uh, they turned it over, didn't they? When they the last the wasn't it a lady that owned it last, and she died and, and gave it to Du or something like that. No, I, I think, they don't quote me wrong, but I think it's uh, owned by like seven or eight doctors. Really? It, now, uh, I don't, I can't forget how many, but uh, cause, uh, 
I think they built a new house out there, and they got a caretaker out there as well. Um, I'm not too familiar familiar with who owns it, but I know I I mean when we do our scouting, I scout that area pretty good because between safe pools, and it actually there's a lot of farmers that in the past ten years that built kind of small reservoirs around you know in that area to kind of mimic clay pools to help hold ducks and so we're all the time scouting uh there around there to see what our field's like and uh, my tell you the truth our field's really not been that profitable in the past five years but our timber sure has uh i can't tell you how many times i've heard the sad sad story oh duck hooking arkansas just ain't great just ain't great if you're going to sit in the pit and you ain't getting ducks and you ain't going out, you know, chasing them, watching them, then yeah, you're not going to kill ducks. I mean, even on the our WMAs, we have some of the best WMAs in the United States, I would believe, just in our area alone. And the whole and the whole state of Arkansas has a lot more to offer besides what we have as well. But just in our area alone, you have by uh, David Donaldson, Saint Francis. Uh, Big Lake, Rainy Break, and I'm probably sure I'm missing a few others in there too, but those, those are some of the biggest WMAs we have. Uh, and it's all, it's, basically it's all flooded timber. Well, you guys uh, had that uh, that controversial rule. We were talking about it, and I think it was this last year was the, f- the first one that uh, they were limiting the out-of-staters or the oozers, as you guys call them. And, uh, uh, I don't never call them oozers uh, because I do have a lot of out-of-state friends that come and hunt. So this past season, they actually, out-of-staters got three weeks out of the season, but they got the weeks picked for them. So like opening weeks they got. And I think, I think when the second split come back in, they got the first week of second split, and then they couldn't come back to the last week of January. Which, heck, I so wouldn't the, mind the last week of January is when it's genuinely stacked up. Oh, uh, that, yeah, that's when we got, that's when, I think the, the week before the last week is when we got a big push uh, in the areas that we hunt. Uh, and that's when it really got really good. So, like, in the, in the past, I want to say they could, uh, they get five five-day passes, and they could do it. I mean, if they wanted to do all in one whack, they could do it. But this past season, they changed it to where, you know, they can only hunt three weeks out of the year. Uh, this year, I don't know if they're going to change it or not. Um, I know, in my opinion, them limiting it to three weeks actually helped the in-staters a lot because, uh, I said, well, we hunt down to St. Francis. Basically, you either hunt out of a pontoon or a boat on the lake, or you you know take your boat back into the backwaters, and that's where we stayed most of the time. And you can actually, when you got back far enough, you, it's it's standable, you know, anywhere from uh, ankle to waist deep in places. Um, so you see all these crazy videos of these boat ramp races. Have you ever get? Have you ever witnessed anything like that? No, I'm pretty sure everybody's seen the. I think it was. Two years, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, yeah, two two years ago the the big lake deal. Now I wasn't in on that one, but I had friends that were in there. I had a, a good buddy; he just bought a brand new boat, and uh, by the time he made it to uh, that was the last day he ever hunted there too. I think he bought a brand new Express or something like that, 
And by the time he got made it to his hole in daylight to where he could see all the damage, I mean, just his boat was beat to nothing. See, and that's one thing that, you know, I live an hour away from Arkansas, uh, the state line, but I live about two hours away, three hours away from Jonesboro. So I don't ever venture that way. There's just too much pressure, too many guys. I'm an out-of-stater. I like my tires staying intact while I'm hunting. You know, that kind of stuff. And um, we have some really great refuges here in, um, in Missouri. You have, you know, Four Rivers, Shallow Sage, Grand Pass, everybody knows about, Otter Slough, stuff like that. I can tell you that I stay the heck away from stuff like that because of what you're talking about. The competition, waking up early to go stand in line or put in for a reservation at the beginning of the year. It's just... It's a big, huge hassle to go and watch guys freaking sky bust at 80 yards. And, uh, I mean, you, you're going to kill your ducks if you get out there and stay long enough. But it, it takes away the hunting aspect of it to me. And we're really blessed with having a lot of big lakes around there. Um, I said it on the last podcast. I have like five big huntable lakes within an hour and a half drive of me. So I don't ever have to mess with that type of stuff if I feel like big water hunting. But... um yeah, man, I can't imagine that being that type of pressure being where you're like your opportunity to hunt. Like the guys that that's unless you want to pay big money for a lease or uh, you know some private ground. If you just have some really deep pockets or you're working for a guide service or something like that. But the the public hunting opportunity, I just can't imagine living somewhere where it's like that and you have to go fight that stuff. Yeah, I can't. I think it was maybe. It wasn't Meredith's episode. I remember, I think he was saying something about Alan had came down on Friday, or the Thursday or Friday to hunt, and he was back the next day because there wasn't no ducks here. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I wish I would have known I'd known him a little bit more. Otherwise, I'd have told him, to, hey, won't you just come stay with me? I'll, I'll put you on some ducks. Because we, <laughs> on the weekend, man, I said, my mainly hunts on the weekend. That's what I get. Right. So, you work. Due to my work <laughs> and my vacation, I actually get to hunt 35 days out of the season, uh, which is, is a lot. Too. Yeah, and 35 days is a good amount. A lot of guys are like, oh, only a 30. That's a lot. Weekend Warriors, if you average that out, that's about 20. Yeah. So, when, when I'm not working and we're not hunting that morning, those afternoons are always spent scouting. Uh, and a lot of times, if you can go back into the WMA, you just can't have no, you know, no guns, no decoys, nothing to do with duck hunting. You can just be yourself in the boat and just go in there and scout. And that's we find ourselves doing that in the past two years. We have did that more, and I think that's how we've been more successful. And that's what drove us more back into the backwaters, going, man, we're gonna go sit on the lake part and wait for ducks, and we can go find them back here. We know the rest of them back here. We know we've seen them land there. And I think that's how we got more success. You know, these past couple of seasons where I've heard everybody else going. Oh, man, you know, I think I've even heard y'all say it. You know, Oklahoma's the new Arkansas. But we still got ducks here, I promise you. No, yeah. There's millions of mountains. We did hunt over some stale birds there for a little bit. But if you learned how to hunt them, you can still kill them. Man, and we just, your guys' weather isn't too much different than mine up here. We just have not had a really, really cold winter. <clears throat> up north has not had a really cold winter 
And at least since like 2014 or 15 is the last time I can remember it just really being, you know, single digits below zero at night um, for a sustained period of time. And if you don't have winter time, the ducks don't go south. You know, the same ducks that you have, you'll get that early push, you know, the very beginning of November. And then birds will just hang out. And they'll get really educated, and you'll be hunting a lot of stale birds, and you'll have to really, really work for finding it. And uh, then you'll have the the big fronts where birds are getting pushed in, and guys are out there just shooting the crap out of them on the big fronts. And then birds are, you know, it screws them up. They don't have time to acclimate to the area. It's kind of like, to me, hunting the roost versus hunting feeds. If you go blow up the roost or blow up the first day that all the ducks push in, then you're not going to be able to hunt the feeds for the next week after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know. That's just my outtake. I, I don't hunt your guys' area, so I don't know exactly how it runs down there. That's just the way that we look at it. I would rather have, you know, three hunts in a week where we shoot, everybody shoots half a limit, rather than one bang-up day and a bunch of nothing for the rest of the week. So, like, for me, I noticed this past season, uh, our, the migration for us started uh, at the same, just a little bit before our early spec season come in in October, because this was the first year I ever got to go on a a, a full spec hunt where you we put out a bunch, you know, ten to twelve dozen, maybe even no, Lord knows how many, you know, uh, decoy spread, and actually get to do and lay, you know, lay out and actually shoot them that way. It's the first time I've ever got to do this, and. Uh, Man, because this, this is one of, this, I think this is my, one of my awesomest stories I've ever had on hunting-wise. So we, so the opening day of early spec, it's raining like crazy. We're out there, we're setting up because we're just that type of guys that wasn't that cold. And uh, get set up, shooting hours comes in, and the next thing you know, we've done, we're, we're starting shooting specs, and then just lo and behold, We've got mallards, pintails, gadwalls, widgeons, teal coming in by the 20s, the 50s. I mean, just landing in this goose spread. And, and we're not talking no tornadoes. I mean, they just come out of nowhere. I almost wish that the, our first day of duck season could have been opening day of early spec because I've never seen, because I hunt with two dogs, but that day I just hunted with one. I could not keep him contained because of all the ducks that were coming in, and he did not understand why we weren't killing the ducks and we were just killing the geese. <laughs> yeah, it got really cold early. I remember that. And then we didn't get a really good push of ducks again until January. Like the last yeah. week or two weeks of season, we were just covered in ducks, but it was nothing from, you know, opener all the way done. Opener, we had ducks around, but they were stale already. And uh, then all the way till the end of the season, we started picking them up again. And I think me and my group of guys, we were somewhere, uh, the opening week, I think we were around close to 150 birds for the group, for me and the guys that hunt in our group. Um, we did kind of get, our first day getting skunked was that last day because it got so stale, so shot out that it was, we just had that first day of bad luck, but that opener this year for us was just killer. <laughs> and, so, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I, I don't know what I was going to say. No, I know, man. When I do that, sometimes it throws me off. I was, hell, what the hell was I going to say? 
<laughs> oh, um, so I know a couple years ago, I don't know if it's been like that, you guys were having all sorts of water problems in the state too. They were so worried about all the timber dying off from being flooded all spring and into the summer that they were keeping water off the timber until like January or something. Is that still an issue down there where they're having a lot of water problems? Uh, right now, we've actually had a, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if y'all are saying, we've had a lot of rain this year too. Uh, but it was in 17. Uh, I think y'all may, you may remember this, but uh, we call that the great flooding. Because that storm that come in, dumped so much water, actually uh, tore my shop up. I mean, it blew my shop down. And, uh, and I had to end up, re- it took me until later on that year before I could rebuild. It didn't flood our home, but just that front line wind of that storm that come through pushed my shop to the ground, and it flooded everything. And it stayed flooded for, I would say, I guess, at least a good four months before wow. everything kind of started going back down. That's crazy, man. I, uh... Did you guys, last year was the year that the Mississippi flooded really bad, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay. It, it seems like this year, man, we're right on pace for that again. It has rained every, I don't know what it's been like down there, but it has rained every damn day here for the last two weeks. And uh, I looked at the forecast, and I think it's supposed to rain all of next week. And I don't know if it's becoming the new normal to just be super wet every spring. Yeah, cause uh, like a, I'm a I'm a truck driver by day. I run a day route, so I get to. That's another thing I love about my job as well, because I get I get to scout from the roadways I kind of drive by, and sometimes I actually get to go into the place, go through places I actually do scouting anyway. <laughs> uh, but I crossed in the Mississippi today over uh, at Dyersburg. I mean, the Mississippi's out of its banks over there pretty good. Yeah, that's the same thing. I drive a I drive a delivery route every day too, and I go all the way up to the Missouri River, which is about two and a half hours from us. And uh, I'll do that, and then I'll go over to like Kansas line, freaking Oklahoma, um, Arkansas line over on that side as well. And I've been doing the uh, Missouri Jeff City route a lot lately, and the Missouri River is super is rolling pretty good. The uh, Osage, which is another huge river that that uh fills up lake of the ozarks and stuff like that it's way over the banks and it's everything up north is flooded so i just don't know if that's becoming the new normal you know spring is supposed to be wet but it seems like the last couple years we've been getting all of our rain in a month and then the rest of summer just drought conditions almost i know what's what's made it worse uh, for us this year is i'm you might have heard about this too. It's about a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago. We uh, not only did we have one tornado, we had a second one. They didn't hit in the same spot, but we had the tornado tear up Jonesboro pretty good. So that has kept us rolling like crazy. On top of everything else, we've got to deliver as well. Mm. And then the second one hit south of Jonesboro around the Harrisburg area. It messed things up down down there, but not like what it did Jonesboro. Man, it's uh, those tornadoes are just something crazy. I've lived here, you know, my whole life aside from when I was in the Navy and lived out of the area. But uh, I grew up with tornadoes, and um, my my dad lived outside of Springfield, like ten miles, 
And when I was 10, 11, 12, something like that, a tornado hit his town and ran for 80 miles north. And it was like a half mile wide. The house behind him was gone. He had some shingle damage, but the house behind him was gone for a half mile to and just debris for 80 miles after that. And that kind of was like, oh, holy crap, you know, this can happen to us type thing. We got really lucky. And then a couple of years ago, we hadn't had anything in a long time hit my area. You know, he had Joplin, stuff like that, the really bad ones. And then more, I think, was the next year in Oklahoma. But um, it just wasn't something I even thought about. I've grown up here. You know, you get used to them again. It's kind of that if it didn't happen yesterday type thing, it starts losing. And we had him go off in the middle of the night one night. And my ex-wife was like, hey, the tornado sirens are going off. And I was like, yeah, but where we live, they never hit. Don't worry about it. Go back to bed. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> we wake up the next morning a tornado tore up the... Uh, barn across the street from us and a little ef1 just ripped right through across the street in his pasture and tore down all the trees and i was like oh that's not enough to do anything crazy but that was enough to take out our house and it was only 300 yards away <laughs> so it's just kind of that realization of oh hell man i have kids now i actually have to start paying attention to this stuff yeah uh luckily my kid he's uh he turned 17 this year so He's almost out of the house. He's still probably driving so, you crazy and eating out of house and home, though. Oh, yeah. And uh, I tell him, I, I, I've got him out in the shop plenty of times, too. Uh, he's, uh, actually, he's made, I, I got to cut and tune his car, but he actually made his own car. I've got it out there. Uh, and I just haven't had really a chance to do it, you know. I wish I could say I, I pump out a lot of cars like everybody else, but me, with everything I make... Uh, cause I, I do duck calls, I do a few goose calls, squirrel calls, deer grunts. So with everything I make, and with also whistles as well, I make about a hundred or a little over a hundred calls a year. It's about the, about the time I've got for so. Uh. I think that's a really comfortable pace, man. I like doing anywhere from a hundred to one hundred twenty-five. That's uh, keeping it fun. And not burning yourself out. Especially, it sounds like the schedule that you have is very similar to mine, where it's like, I just do not have the time to beat my head against the wall and make 250, 300 like some guys. Oh, no, I, I don't. And that, that's the way I'd like to, you know, keep it. You know, when we all get orders, we all sell. Uh, man, I seen something, uh, that was yesterday, day three yesterday. Somebody was like, I, I bought all this stuff. You know what I need to do to be profitable or something like that, and I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, very few guys have actually sat down and made a full-time business out of this, and the amount of work that it took to do that, you know, who knows? I mean, only God knows all the time it took for them to be successful. I thought, well, I thought about saying something, but. I just left it alone. <laughs> the way I have explained it is it's a money pit. It's like buying a damn boat. You're just throwing money at it constantly. And uh, it's like every time, you know, you might make a few bucks here and there. I like making enough to buy more materials, keep stuff going, and have enough in reserve so when a piece of equipment craps out, it's like, hey, I can just go buy another one. It's not going to, you know, be a huge deal on me. But uh, it's a giant money pit. You don't get into it to getting rich. There are very, very few call makers out there, like you said, who are doing it for a living. And there's a 
one or two of them that I would say are rich, and their last names are Robertson, and they didn't get rich from making duck calls. I, I think even Stelzman had posted like that. You know, it's like, you know, he does it full time, but he's not rich. He's comfortable, but, you know, not rich by no means. Yeah, man. It's just, it's not the, the industry to get into. I, I, I said it before. I guess Zinc is another guy who's probably pretty well off. But a lot of that was the decoy stuff. You know, Zinc calls probably made decent money, but the Avian X brand was really the uh, the big seller when he sold that company. Oh yeah. So it's uh it's definitely not for the faint of heart. It's definitely not going to make you rich. Um, I think you should run any business trying to be, you know, try to be as profitable as you can. Not be a drain on your family. Like I've said, oh, yeah. I've talked to other guys. The main reason I wanted to do it is I wanted to build stuff that I liked, couldn't afford from other call makers, and then I wanted to help try to offset some of the costs of hunting. So that way, I wasn't pulling from gas money, food money, you know, go out and play vacation money to go duck hunting. I wanted to not be a burden on the family. Oh, yeah, and that's basically, I think that's how I am. I know even a few of the, your past uh, guys on your podcast have said the same thing. I make enough on it to, to make it keep going and pay for a few things along the way, and that right there is all I could ever ask for. In no certain way do I want to be the next best thing. Um, yeah, I did have an accomplishment along the way that I was pretty proud of, um, but, you know, the but just that accomplishment alone, you know, didn't put me better than anybody else because I still consider myself below everybody else. Hold on, hold um, on. Well, I, I'm drawing a blank. What was the accomplishment for everybody that doesn't know? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, so, uh, I took, I won Riff Foot in tw- last year in the amateur division. Nice, man. Uh, well, congrats on that. Oh, super late congrats. I don't even think I was paying. Uh, I don't even think I was back into it last year at that point. But that's super awesome, man. Well, because I mean, I I mean I was on call nuts, but you know I was just that guy. I'm I'm still that guy that you don't say post every but every now and then. Um, I I try to do what I can, but with what time I got, you know, I just do what I can. So I had spent a long time on this insert. I'm, and I ain't gonna lie to you, I started on on public G. But I got to a point where I didn't like it because it wasn't what I wanted. And that's when my, you know, brother told me to get a flat jig. And so I got the 335, it's a little taller deck, high flat jig. And I and I worked for another year on this, uh, well, I say another year. Uh, I worked for the better part of last year on this insert the way I've got it now. And then I had it sent off to, you know, to have a jig made off of it. And, uh. I think it was like the fourth one I cut off of it when I actually got to where I went. That was the one that I had set to the side, and it stayed with me. I thought that was like April last year. And I remember like the the, the week before real fast, I, I didn't see if I could make something you know sound better than this one. And I could just not get it because I was like, man, this insert right here, I just think is the one. And so I uh, put it in the barrel that I made for it, entered it in, and... I expect because the year before my actually brother took amateur, he won the amateur division, and I played six, being the first year into it. And so I mean, to me, just finishing middle of the road was like, dude, I placed. I mean, that was awesome. And the next year, I went it off my jig, and uh, I, that right there is like, that was an accomplishment. 
But at the same time, I'm yet so far away from where I want to be because right now I, I tell, tell everybody, look, I got a good timber call. It, it, you know, it's a good, nasty, medium volume call. I'm also working now on a louder call. Uh, and I've actually been working on it since after that last year. I've been working on it. I just haven't got to where I wanted it yet. So, but it'll, it'll, I'll get it there. No, heck yeah, man. And it's stuff like Real Foot that it just it gives you that because you can cut and you know, work on a bunch of calls and be like, man, I think this thing, I think every every call maker that's ever gone out and put it in a competition or sold calls, you get this call and you're like, man, I think this is it. This is a, this is a beast of a call. And then you pick it up and blow it a few years later, a couple hundred calls later, and you're like, I don't even know what the hell I was thinking. This call, <laughs> because of the evolution of your call making. And I did that for quite a while, and then I I had been flat jigging for probably a year, year and a half, and me and Meredith had done, I guess Meredith and I had done a trade, if I want to be proper, and uh, we were just talking about it, I don't know, like a year later, we were talking about different calls, and he's like, I, I, he's like, I don't know why you don't turn more, he's like, the call you made me, you make a hell of a call, and I was like, well, I'm glad you think so, because, uh, you know, you can... St- think to yourself you make all these different calls and you think to yourself you're like yeah i really like the way this one runs it really fits me good that's why i built it this way but when you have start getting those other call makers who are going out there and blowing it they're like hey man i really like i really like this call or you know just it's that validation you're like i'm not just crazy i'm not the only one that thinks this thing is great so it's when you go out there and you win a competition place in a competition have the stones to put your call in a competition, it's just, it's got to be validation, and it gives you that little bit of motivation to keep going. Oh, yeah, because even my brother, I mean, he makes an awesome call, and he's actually won quite a bit of other stuff, too, and, and placed well in other divisions. Um, anybody listening to this, you make calls, I encourage everybody, you know, if you can't make these competitions, make a call and, and send it in to them. It ain't about you beating, being the best. That's about, you know, really getting feedback on your call to see where you think your sound is. Easing's one of the best competitions I think there is because it's not only is it one of the harshest, but you have some dang good judges that will sit there and because of what they do, like, I think you have like five judges and they score, everyone scores different. And so, and they'll write you stuff on the back telling you, like, hey, man, this little flat, man, needs a little bit more of this. You get that feedback you need to make yourself a better call maker. And until you can start, you know, if you don't put in these competitions, you, you know, kind of never really, you kind of know what you need, you know, from your friends to, hey, well, I, I wish it would do this, and I wish it would do that, and then you can fix it that way. But the best way is to start entering these competitions and, and to see where your sound place is at. It ain't about who you beat. It's just saying, you know, where you're at in the ranks. It's about getting better. If you're not getting better, yeah. you're you're falling behind because everybody else is going out there and getting better. Um, you said Easton, and I remember watching that. Seth Fields did that live stream of kind of when he was oh, judging yeah. it. I absolutely loved watching him go through because I didn't enter a call, and I, I can't even imagine – the time that he's going to pick it up and do it on a live stream and then 
you know, if it squawks, you know, it's that gut check if it doesn't go as well as you hope that it goes. But it's just really cool watching exactly how he goes through it personally, judging, you know, different calls and just kind of how he different runs it. And uh, I don't know, man. You'll hear some calls and you're like, he'll get on it and you're like, that thing sounds phenomenal. And of course, Seth is, Seth could go out there and make a turd sound freaking ridiculous. But, uh, and then he'll hit it, and he's like, oh, but this one part of it, I wish it was a little bit better. And I'm like, I didn't hear that. And then he'll, like, accentuate that little part of it by, like, breaking down the call and, like, hitting, you know, putting just enough air to accentuate that part of the call. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I see. And it's just, man, I wish I had that kind of mechanical control that, uh, you know, some of these really, really good callers have. Oh, yeah, don't we all? I mean... If somebody tells me my call is good, I mean, that makes us all feel, you know, pretty good when somebody tells your call is good. But, hey, tell me what it won't do. Tell me what you think, you know, would what would you like to see different on it or, you know, is it not raspy enough? Or does it, just tell me that everything that you think's wrong with it. And that, that's the input that I look for, you know, getting going to these competitions and getting to talk with these guys actually, you know, blowing the calls and everything. It's Tell me what you didn't like about it. That's what I want to improve. Not to, to, I'm trying to beat everybody else. I want to make myself better. And so, anybody getting into it, that's what you got to focus on. You got to focus on your sound. I mean, look, anybody of us can make a barrel. And I, and I love doing it too. And we all start off different. But it's in the sound. And that's well, where all the work's done. That, and I can't remember who said it. It was one of the recent podcasts where somebody was talking about being able to diagnose the call like before i started driving i was uh when i got out of the navy i was working in a manufacturing shop and we were rebuilding turbochargers you know that you put on semis tractors stuff like that and when i first did it it was you know just reading instructions put these pieces together and make it run throw it on this tester and it runs at fifty thousand rpms and if it's good to go you know you balance it out and if it's good to go you send it down the line well, after doing that for, you know, a couple of years, you get to the point where you can just hear that turbo run and you're like, oh, the bearings on that are, you know, scorched or, you know, just these little different tiny things or it needs to be turned counterclockwise, just a half turn to make this balance balance out. And you can just diagnose it by a quick flip of the uh, of the fins of the turbocharger or just hearing it run for a couple seconds where guys can do that with calls and diagnosing and somebody was talking about it on the last podcast of hearing a call or tuning a call and being like i wish this call would have a little more open you know a little more raspiness or it ran a little bit looser on the lower end and once you get to the point of being able to diagnose on how to do that and manipulate your tone board to give you the sound you know diagnosing and fixing your own stuff that's where really because everybody can go out there and just start sanding, sand a couple swipes, blow a call. Sand a couple swipes, blow a call. If you do that long enough, you might get lucky and find something that sounds pretty damn good. But if you can take a call, pick it up, and say, hey, if you hit it right here, it would open this bottom end up a little bit more. That diagnosing is really just taking it to the next level. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, I've had some great mentors. You know, my brother and, and my other friend, Chris, have helped me, you know, to learn all that and I'm no expert by it by no means but just learning just be able to do half 
half the dynastics and everything like that, it's worth more than what anybody could ever think. Yeah, and it and takes time. Yeah, it's one of those things you just have to screw up and figure out. And it just takes thousands of hours, maybe not thousands of hours, but it feels like thousands of hours of repetition and just tweaking and working through it. There is no... You can take, you know, the greatest... You can go steal one of Ron Lawn's RM jigs, and if you don't know how to diagnose a call and tune a call, you're not going to make that sound like he does. Because it just That's takes right. those hours of figuring out how to tune a call. But, uh... Okay, I, go I've ahead, got bro. over a year in this one, and I've got, you know, got more time trying to develop this other one, and... I said that's a process. It's just a we all get there some some form of fashion. Exactly, man, and it's exciting. I'm glad that uh glad that you're in it, and I'm glad that man. It seems like you have the right mindset. I know we've talked, you know, here and there through messaging and stuff like that, but I don't know. I'm real foot has always ran. I we don't get a lot of ducks out here. Our duck numbers have fallen on their face. Ducks go to Kansas. Ducks go to Oklahoma on my side of the state. So, Honkers has been our bread and butter. You know, big Canada geese, locals are our bread and butter. And Real Foot always falls right in the middle of opening or second weekend of freaking residential honker season. And it's it's always, I've been out there one time and uh, I only had a day. And I had a bunch of just personal stuff come up with the practice wife. And I just could not stay out there all weekend. And uh, I had to come back, and I, I didn't have the time to do anything, let loose, and uh, have fun with anybody. And then my buddies that I skipped that morning's hunt to, you know, go out to Real Foot, they freaking shot like an eight-man limit in like five minutes. Just unbelievable working in in groups of two and three. You know, 400 birds on a feed working in in groups of two and three. It was everybody was taking one, you know, everybody shooting one at a time. And just recording everything, it's like, oh my god, I cannot believe I missed out. I'm, I'm gonna have to make myself go to Real Foot, but it's gonna be missing out on my favorite, my favorite hunting week of the year. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself do it because there's too many guys that I've talked to, and too many guys that I talk to on, uh, you know, through social media and stuff like that. And I have to go and hang out with some of these guys, man. It's long overdue. I live four hours away. And I get hit I up. I get hounded all year long to go do it. And I just, uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's what I look forward to. And, and if we could ever get you out there, because, like, yeah, I, mean, I, I know everybody's told you, I love the podcast. Being a truck driver, I, mean, I listen to a lot of these. I mean, if I'm on a good long haul, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I've listened to two of them today. Well, I've, I've probably listened to every one of them, but I've listened to two of them today just I, I like what you do, and if we can get you out the real foot, then maybe you could do like many interviews with all these little call makers. I think that would be great if we could ever get you out there. It'd be fun. I would have to probably do some live streaming, but uh, man, it would have to be a earlier in the day thing because there might be a lot of uh, liquid entertainment, especially uh, hanging out with some of the guys I know. There's definitely some shenanigans that goes on at night, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Well, brother, I appreciate you giving me some of your time tonight, and uh, man, it's been fun. We've been we've been needing to do this one, and it seems like I'm always I'm just like you, man. I have such a long day every day that it's trying to fit in life and do this podcast, and 
I just I'm glad that you were able to give me some time tonight and the schedule just worked out right. Oh man, anytime. I mean, later on down the road, if you want to do this again, you know, I'll be more willing to do it again because, you know, like we talked earlier, here it is. It's been an hour and 17 minutes. I mean, I, I felt like we ain't been talking but 20 minutes. Dude, it goes by fast. It's like some kind of weird time warp. So. Yeah, man. Well, but man, it's uh, definitely been fun. Absolutely. And we definitely will do it again. Um, I've got all these guys that I've done this first run through. I think I'm going to try to go back and start hitting guys again right before season, before everybody gets too busy. So that way they're not having to give up, you know, the few hours that they have with the family or whatever. But uh, I'm thinking right towards the end of summer, start coming back through and hitting some guys up again. Hey, that would be wonderful. If you ever want me on again, all you got to do is mess with me and say, hey, Let's do it this day and this time, and I'm down like a rodeo clown. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Well, if anybody wants to hit you up and get a call, where do they reach out to you at? Um, so I don't do a whole lot of social media, but Facebook is the only thing I do. Uh, you can either message me through my personal page, which is Joshua Lynn, or you can message me through Bust and Tell Calls. Uh, normally I respond pretty, pretty quick, and uh, if you ever want to get a call and – Basically, just keep a look at on what I got coming up because I'm not trying to run you too much longer, but, you know, I'm actually in the works of trying to do a bunch of different things and kind of spread my mindset, you know, on how calls look and with the wood burning and carving and all this other, and scrimshaw, I've been doing, learning that as well. And so just be on the lookout, and if there's anything I can make for anybody, just give me a holler. Heck yeah, brother. That'll be awesome. I look forward to looking at them and it i don't know it's just fun i it's i enjoy it it's not it's not fake it's not something that i'm like oh i kind of like this you know no it's something that i really enjoy and i spend a lot of time and we were actually on the way back from the park and uh it was me and girlfriend and her kid and he's in the back seat and i'm just scrolling through instagram you know on the way home because she's driving and he was like, oh, Chris, that's a really cool call. And he's two rows back because he wants to sit in the very back of the SUV. And I was like, oh, this one right here and have to pull it up. So it's just funny. They, I look at them so much that I've got everybody else hooked on it. That's good. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you, brother, and I'll let you get off here. And uh, this thing will probably be up late tonight or early in the morning. What time do you normally get up and start running around? Uh, right tomorrow morning, I'm gonna get up and start running around at five yep that's when mine starts too it'll definitely be up by then because i want to be able to listen to it in the morning <laughs> all right bub i appreciate everything you do bub thanks man take care yeah, you too thanks all right everybody that was joshua lynn with bust and tails calls that's a fun one, man. I, I really enjoy people that have the same mindset as I do and that enjoy the same stuff as I do. And I guess I enjoy people that don't have the same mindset as I do because it's fun to see contrast, but uh, just makes it so much easier when you all just get along and agree with me. Um, if you want to get in on that Facebook giveaway, make sure you get on to BTBN's page and uh, leave a comment on the duck call picture. You'll be able to find it. If not, message us. I'll help you out, and I'll even tag you in the post. I did it for somebody the other day. Leave some reviews on um, iTunes for us, whether that be good, bad, indifferent, but uh, just make sure you title it The Duck Call. Everybody's liked it so far, so uh, yeah, I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it, and we'll call it a night. Have a good one.